right. Uh, again, if you're new, this is what we do at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and we're making our way through the book of Hebrews. And uh, we're only going to make it through four verses today. So we're in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. So if you would, stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. And if you don't have your copy of God's Word, it, uh, the verses will be on the screen behind me as well. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, in every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Four verses. I have six points, okay? Over four verses, six points. It'll make sense as as we go through it. Um, But this is one of, in Hebrews, one of five warnings. Throughout the book of Hebrews, it's going to give us five warnings. And this is the first warning. And so today's teaching, I'm I'm going to go through these verses here up front and and kind of unpack the context and understanding of of what's taking place within those. And then I want to uh, really laser in on two parts of this verse. And and that is in the first verse uh, where it talks about drifting away and in a later verse that it talks about neglecting such a great salvation. Uh, Because that is the consequence of spiritual drifting, okay? And we're going to get there. And so what I'd like to say even about this message is that it's going to be, uh, I hope, very helpful. And from my perspective, very pastoral for us as a community of faith pursuing Jesus uh, together. I I love this particular section uh, in in Hebrews. But let's um, talk about it a little bit. And and this is uh, the writer of Hebrews is actually using a symbol here that was pretty uh, well-known to to early Christians. And in fact, er, in early Christianity, a ship was one of the earliest symbols of of what represented Christianity. And this comes from from two places in our Bible, both in the Gospels. And if you think about the powerful moments, we walk through these in Mark and in Matthew when we walk through those, those Gospels. Where Jesus, if you remember, he's with his disciples in, in a boat and he falls asleep and, and they're out. And what happens uh, while they're out, right? A storm comes and uh, Jesus, he stays asleep in, in the boat and the disciples are what? They're freaking out and they're like, Jesus, do you even care about us? Do you, even, you know what's going on? Like we're about to die. We're taken on water. Jesus wakes up, wipes the sleep out from his eyes. And what does he do? He stands up, he looks at the winds and waves and he says, what? Literally, the translation is this, shut up, like be still. And if you know the story, you know that the winds and the waves actually listen to him and they calm. And the disciples do what then? They went from freaking out to like really freaking out, right? Like the winds and the waves were one thing. That was something that they were like familiar with that could kill them. But now they knew there was something totally different and actually more furious in their boat. And and the furious, I mean the best kind of furious, all right? Like they were like, wait a minute. We understood that chaos, but what just happened? Because the winds and the waves listened to his voice. And the winds and waves only listen to one voice, and that's the voice of God. And then they have like this aha moment. And they're like, wait a minute. God, very God's in our boat. And so this idea of a ship and that formative, powerful moment for the disciples and this aha moment that God was in their boat, that Jesus was God is like, whoa. Well, 
Well, it also comes from another moment in the Gospels where Jesus sends his disciples out to sea uh, without him. And you remember that story, and this one's captured in Matthew 14 and also in John chapter 6. And in that scene, another storm comes up, and they're out there, but they don't have Jesus even asleep in their boat. His tempest rages again. And what in that scene happens with Jesus, who's on the shore? He sends his disciples out. This is when Jesus, that very famous scene, what walks on water out to them, right? In almost in every image painted about that scene, you get this little, you know, dinghy of a boat and you get all 12 of these disciples huddled together kind of freaking out and then you see the savior walking out to them and so that's why for the early christians the ship was a symbol of their faith because it was in those moments that they saw no matter what kind of chaos was around them in this crazy world that they could be confident in jesus and so imagine that for these these hebrews these jewish christians who are facing persecution who are, who are on the cusp of really facing intense and growing intense persecution. And this idea that the author of Hebrews, or this writing that the author of Hebrews is using, in this picture here in chapter 2, is this picture of a ship anchored in something. And we know from Hebrews 6 what that anchor is, is Christ. But he's warning them. He's warning them about drifting. And the picture here is a ship that has lost its anchor and is floating out. That the tides of this world, or tides for them maybe of persecution, is taking them somewhere else. And he's going, pay attention. Be warned. Hear this warning. Heed this warning. Now, if you look, and, and we're going to go through these verses really quickly, then I'll, I'll jump into to some points. The first word should key us on something. Look at chapter 2, verse 1, very first word. Therefore, or maybe some of your translations say, for this reason. When you see the word therefore, or you um, see the words for this reason, you should essentially look backwards, okay? In light of what we just heard, meaning in chapter 1, what we talked through the last two weeks here going through Hebrews, it's now going, therefore, in light of that, We can be sure of the next conclusion, but we want to talk about really quickly, if you missed those, like what was all chapter one about? Sum it up in three words. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is supreme. He's superior to to the prophets. He's superior to the old methods and ways in which people uh, came to faith, right? He is the way. He's superior to angels, the ones who mediated the law in the Old Testament, ones that they revered and looked up to, the ones that are, that are powerful, right? And I walk through that resume, of bi- that biblical resume of angels, right? But Jesus is better than them, and, and Hebrews is going to constantly say that. But in light of Jesus being greater, in light of Jesus being supreme, superior, here's what the author says be careful be careful not to drift now one of the things he does here in the next word i'm going to go a lot faster therefore the next word therefore in light of jesus's superiority we very rarely in hebrews will the author put himself in the place with the people okay to be say you um y'all you all right But here he says, we, putting himself with them. So we know he's talking about them as believers. We must do what? Pay much closer attention to what we we have heard, lest we drift away from it. There's the warning, and I'm going to talk about that. 
He says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. So again, he's going back to angels. He's going, listen, the message that the angels delivered, the message that they mediated the law, it was reliable. It was good. It was, it was meant and it was purposeful to be held up to say, listen, you can't adhere to this. You need a savior. You need a Messiah. And then he goes, what, what, it's kind of a rhetorical um, um, uh, it's kind of a rhetorical activity here to go from the lesser to the greater. So he's going from the lesser, meaning the angels delivered this message, right? The message of the law. They mediated, mediated this message. Then he's going to the greater message, which was delivered by God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the great salvation that he is talking about. And so he's going, you guys believe in the message or the law that the angels mediated, right? And then they would all go, yes, we believe in that. He goes, and you know that in your law that there was just retribution for people who did not obey the law. And they would have all nodded and said, yes, there was consequences for that. We can read it in Leviticus and we can read it in our Old Testament that there were consequences. He goes, how much more then when God himself shows up, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, how much more when he is rejected? How much greater of a consequence is there? And that they probably would have shuddered. And the answer is a much greater consequence. One of eternal weight. One of eternal significance. See how he went from lesser to greater. If this is true about the lesser, then this must be even more true about the greater. And so he's putting before them this weight this, this idea of, of, of what they are actually hearing and listening to, that they must understand the gravity of what he has laid before them in chapter 1, that Jesus is this great salvation. Don't drift from him. Remember the words. Pay closer attention to the words you've just heard. Pay closer attention to the gospel that saved you. The gospel that transformed your life. Here is how you don't drift. You pay closer attention to it. You don't take it for granted. You don't treat it like you did the law that has consequences to not following it. But the great salvation of Jesus Christ. And so here, uh, kind of two parts. One would be salvation. For those of you who have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, maybe you're exploring Christ, maybe you're exploring Christianity. Here's what I would say to you. I would urge you from Hebrews this morning, don't neglect it. Don't neglect the knocking on your heart by the Holy Spirit this morning. He is pleading. He is begging. He's drawing you to himself in Christ this morning. Put your faith in him. Don't neglect it. And here's where oftentimes many people stop there. And I don't want to stop there. I want to say, if you neglect it, if you neglect that great salvation of the Lord knocking on your heart, pressing the Holy Spirit, pressing on your heart, there is a consequence. And the consequence the Bible tells us is this, is that is forever separation from God. It tells us that our sins, we are dead in our sins until we come to Christ and he forgives us. Don't neglect that salvation. Don't neglect that knocking of the Holy Spirit on your heart this morning. Trust in Christ. The greatest and best decision you could ever make in your life. Listen, it is not by accident that you are here this morning hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not what you do. It's not what you've done. Listen, we all have a failed resume before God. The only thing that saves us is our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Trusting that his work that his righteousness, that his record of perfection and obedience is what saves us and redeems us. That's it. And listen, that's the anchor of our souls. And so for some of you, I urge you this morning, don't neglect the great salvation that God has provided in Jesus. I couldn't plead with any more urgency for you this morning. 
for others of you. You're where I believe this text is with these Jewish Christians. You have drifted, or you are drifting as a believer, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Someone who has put your faith and trust in Christ, you have found yourself drifting away from what you have heard, that great salvation that saved you and redeemed you. And so here's where I want to spend the bulk or rest of our time this morning, looking at spiritual drift. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. We'll talk about that actually, in fact, throughout Hebrews. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you as a believer, a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus, drifting from the faith. And here's what I want to give a definition of spiritual drift just to clear up any confusion. When I talk about spiritual drift from Hebrews chapter 2, here's what I mean. The unintentional movement away from deep affection for and devotion to Jesus Christ. So when I talk about spiritual drift, that is what I talk about. The unintentional movement away from deep affection. So this is your, 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 your feelings, your emotions, your love, your zeal for Jesus. And devotion to. So this is the practice of following Jesus. Something we talk about a lot here. The practice, the actual practice of following Jesus with your whole life. I don't think it's by accident that the vivid example here in this warning uses a boat, right? This nautical idea, this sailing language suggesting a ship whose anchor has broken loose from the ocean floor that is dangerously drifting away. I'm not talking in this, this sermon about those of you who have made an, in, an intentional, right? Not an unintentional, but an intentional saying, I'm not pursuing God. I'm rejecting him. I'm walking away from him. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't think that's what Hebrews is talking about. But I'm talking about an unintentional walking away due to an inattention and frankly a carelessness in your devotion and affection for Jesus Christ. I think drifting is one of those subtle and primary sins of our day. And as the metaphor suggests, it is not so much intentional as it is due due to unconcern. Oftentimes, we as Christians, we neglect our anchor who is Christ. And when we begin to neglect him in our lives, we begin to quietly drift away. Have you ever been out on a lake where you've seen this actually occur? It's ever experienced to you, right? We, we, I remember growing up on the Lake of the Ozarks, we'd, we'd have this happen, not a lot, but, but several times we'd jump out of the boat. We thought the boat was anchored in and uh, we'd just be having fun. We'd be, uh, you know, swimming in the lake. And the next thing you know, like we've been talking and we pick up our heads and the boat has like begun to drift away, right? Well, it, what, we, we didn't actually move. The boat actually would, would just, by the tide, be taken somewhere else. And we're like, wait a minute, like we've got, we got to go catch back up. See, that is the unintentionality that I want the Spirit to uncover in our hearts about spiritual drift that is taking place probably in most of us, either at a small level or for some of you in a very large level. And the Holy Spirit's going to use today to wake you up to that, to illuminate the spiritual drift that is possible. The writer of Revelation, John, uses different language, but refers to this same idea when he's writing to the superficially healthy church known as the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, verse 4. Many of you remember this as we taught through this. Remember that church? He says, oh, you're healthy in this way, in this way, in this way. You look, look good, got the, got the appearance, right? But he says what? I have this against you. 
that you have abandoned your first love or the love you had at first. And that word abandon is not what you think it is where it's just going, forget it, I'm leaving. No, it's what we talk about here with this spiritual drift where days become months and months become years of just drifting away from the affection and devotion to the person of Jesus Christ, our true anchor. And so I want this morning to walk through six tides of spiritual drift. A tide is what is something that would take you, you out or drift you away from the person of Jesus Christ. And the first one is this, because, and, and you're like, Kyle, why would you go through these six things? Because this is the warning from Hebrews 2. Don't neglect. Pay attention. Do not drift away from the great salvation that you have. Don't neglect it. Don't drift away. And so hear me. Some of these tides will be really relevant to you. Others of them may not be as relevant to you. But maybe, just maybe, these might illuminate also the people who you are walking with, who you are discipling, who you are loving in gospel community. You might be able to identify some tides and some, some warning signs in, in their life and also in yours. And so the first thing is this, is the tide of familiarity. Right? We know everything about God. Right? This great salvation has actually lost its greatness. <laughs> right? The gospel. Right? We know it. We know the gospel. We know that we're not saved by, by, by works. We know that we're saved by grace through faith alone. We know that, but it's actually lost its zeal and its power in our lives. Why? Because we've just grown so familiar with it. It's become commonplace. This is um, 1 Samuel chapter 2. And it's in verses 12 through, through the end, which I think is 36 or 37. This is the sons of Eli. Where the sons of Eli, they had become just so familiar with the things of God that it says that they had no regard any longer for the Lord. Why? Because they had rubbed up against the things of God so much in their lives that they just had no regard for it anymore. It was just commonplace. And listen, this is one of those real prevalent tides in our culture, probably particularly in our area, is just this tide of familiarity. I've heard it all. I've listened to all the sermons, I hear the podcast, and I know the information. And knowing and head knowledge has led to a familiarity that has, is leading in your life to a drift away from actual zeal and affection for Jesus and devotion to him. Listen, familiarity is not bad in of itself. But it's bad when you lose the awe of God. When you're so familiar with it, it just becomes commonplace and normal, Right? You're like a bored tourist who's seen an exhibit time and time again. You just go through the motions. Yep, here's this. Here's the cross. Here's the empty tomb. You know, like, okay, yeah, here's this miracle. Here's that miracle. Here's the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, now, what's next? What? You see, when we're familiar with something, though, there is, can also be beauty. No, no, let me tell you something that I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with the cross that saves us. Oh, I'm familiar with the empty tomb and the power of, of the resurrection over death, hell, and the grave. Listen, so there is some good to familiarity, but there is also some serious negatives that come from it. I think about living in, in Missouri, just being surrounded by the beauty of Missouri, right? And, and, and I've been removed from that now 14 years. Now when I go back, what happens? I'm like, man, this place is so beautiful. But for the first 20 years of my life, I was like, you know, well, I was just surrounded by the beauty of it, right? For those jerks who live in the mountains, right? 
We go visit the mountains. We're like, oh, just like, see God. I meet God. And they're like, oh, mountains, you know? Like, that's how some of you are with your faith in Christ. That's how some of you are with the gospel, with, with the word of God. That's how you treat it, with a familiarity that has made you lose your zeal and lost your devotion to Jesus. The initial adventure for you into the mysteries of Christ left you exhilarated, but now you find yourself, like I said, bored with it. Too familiar. Or how about this one, the tide of, the tide of years. And here's what I mean by this. Um, you have to live some time to observe this. And I know even as a 35-year-old, I, I struggle in even saying this point, but I, I've been around enough people who have lived significantly longer than I have that one of the tides that takes them away from Christ in devotion and affection to him is years of living. And I don't mean that, that, that in a derogatory term or, or being negative about age. I mean that just over the years, people grow colder and colder to the things of Christ. As I've talked with men and women who are significantly older than me, this is one of the things that they warn me in. That it can just seem that as you get older, you've seen the things, familiarity creeps in, but the tides of, of life and years seem to take people away from Christ. That many who are at one time professing passionate Christ followers imperceptibly drifted away from their first love. That over the years, and I would just say this to, 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 to our older people in this congregation, that that anchor in Christ was loosened for many reasons and for whatever reason. Maybe you've even kept up with the appearances, but the years have carried you far away from your devotion and affection to Christ. And I want to call you back. I want to call you back, one, for the sake of your soul, and two, for the sake of this young faith family, this church. We need you. We need the spiritual mothers and fathers. We want to call you with us to a renewed pursuit of Jesus Christ. We need your years. We need your wisdom. We need those things that only you can bring because you've lived lives longer than we have. But I realize there's a very real tide that can carry you out in those, those years. And third, the tide of busyness and preoccupation. I sat down this week just to sketch out my own schedule and calendar. And I think we all can relate to this one, that the enemy has a real subtle way of getting in and causing us to drift away from Christ by making us really, really busy. By us having out of control schedules. Things that are good or even pretty good. We just fill our time and what happens is as we get busier and more consumed with things, we drift further and further away from devotion and affection to Jesus Christ. And I think the author of Hebrews would warn us, be careful. Be careful. Be careful with how busy your schedules are. Be careful with how filled up you are on things and not on the person of Jesus Christ and devotion to him. And listen, I get this. As a parent of three kids, life gets busy and we just start churning and we just start going. Especially if you have young children. You know, it's like you have like you clean up one mess and then you're just like there are 17 other messes that were created, right? You have children to raise, you have relationships that are on demand for your time. 
You have birthdays to celebrate, education maybe to finish or wrap up with your kids. You have bills to pay. And it's so easy to fall prey to the busyness of life and lose our perspective on Christ. And when we become preoccupied with life to the extent that we have little time to develop our spiritual habits and core, we begin to drift. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Ephesians 5.16 says this, redeem the time. Redeem the time because the days are evil. You want me to give you a simple translation on that? Think about your time. Think about your schedule and how you handle time. Because the enemy wants to come into that and hijack it in the most subtle ways and cause this drift away from Christ. Have you really laid out your schedule before? Have you really said, and have, not just before maybe your husband or, or, or your wife, but before like your gospel community? I kid you not, this is one of the conversations we have as elders. Of maybe we should just, for all of our covenant partners, we should have like a schedule workshop, right? Where we just come and we just lay all of our calendars, all of our schedules and go like, listen, how is, is this honoring Jesus? Or is this very clearly a tide that is taking me away from him? And hear me, there are things that we do as the Parks Church, right? Roots class, grow, women's worship night, our Sunday gathering, praxis groups, formation groups. Listen, those are not meant simply to be things that you just tack on to that busy schedule. Those are meant to be things diligently and faithfully seen for what they are and placed and replaced in your schedule, right? Put in there to go, listen, I want to replace something maybe that's good or pretty good with something that's better. Something that fixes my heart on Jesus, so listen, there's going to be a lot of women who come to worship night uh, tomorrow night. I hope for you, if that's what you're doing, that you don't come just, re- you know, come and just go, oh, okay, I'm just hectic. Or this is just one more thing I'm adding. But no, you chose faithfully to replace something else with something that's better. Coming with your sisters in Christ to lift your voice to Jesus so that he can fill you up. So that he can stir up your affections again. This is about replacing something that's good or pretty good with something that's the best. And that's Jesus, right? That's what we want. That's what we desire here. But we understand this tide of busyness and preoccupation hits so close to home. Fourth, how about the tide of discouragement? Um, so we celebrated, um, speaking of drift, uh, 20 years of 9-11. This, is kind of this weekend, we've, that's kind of been confronting all of us. And if I think back to how that day, obviously, I'm not going to talk about where I was that day and things that happened, but I remember just the, the, the shifts in the way people talked, even, even in the church and in, in, in some of the ways in which people were just, as a country, we were unified and all of these different things. In the church, there was like this awakening to like spiritual conversations or maybe a lot of people came back to church or went to church or began to seek God um, in, in light of tragedy. Um, now we're 20 years removed from that. You think a drift has happened? Just, just culturally, Right? Spirits, yeah. Okay, okay, now that's maybe too far, 20 years. How about 2020? Right? So, so not that long ago, a pandemic happens, right? We all kind of buckle down. We're unsure of what this is. We do different things, rallying together. It's like I would have conversations with people, especially early on in 2020. And it's like, this is the time I needed. This is the space I needed to, to, to connect my heart with the Lord, right? It's quiet. Everything shut out. I'm quarantined, right? All of these different things. And now fast forward 12 months, 18 months later, talking to those same people, literally those same people. I'm just going, I don't even know what I believe anymore. Some of them. Drift happens. It's occurred. It's, it's inevitable 
It's unintentional. You're oftentimes unaware of it. But this tide of discouragement, I think, is one of the things that has happened in people. They surveyed the land in 2020, right? Whether it's social or political or church landscape. And they became so discouraged by what they saw in the culture that they just began to drift away from Christ. They began to drift away from the corporate gathering or the believers or gospel community in their lives. Maybe for some of you, it's not tied to culture. Maybe it's trials or discouragement that happened in your life. That they just caused you to subtly drift away from God. Um, If there's one thing I could tell you in this is this. That when life, when the waves of life, like what we saw with the disciples, begin to slap against the boat of your life, which it will happen if it's not happening already. When When the clouds grow dark and your trials become fierce, that is not ever a time where you run away from God or the people of God. That is the time where you fiercely press into God and press into the people of God. That is the time where you run to him and not away from him. But my fear is this, is that through the discouragement, particularly of 2020, that many people have just abandoned that and drifted away from God and away from gospel community. The tide of discouragement. And I've got to be honest, we've all been there to some extent, haven't we? We've all been there. And fifth, how about the tide of abundance? Yeah, I don't even need to unpack this point, right? That we particularly as Americans are so full of our own prosperity that we often make wealth our God and not the true king of heaven. This is nothing new. This is a reoccurring theme throughout the scriptures. People struggle, God blesses them, they become prosperous, and then what happens? They depart from God. Ironic, isn't it? People struggle, they call out to God, God blesses them, they abandon God. That is the rhythm we see. You see, the chances are, maybe you don't feel prosperous in this room, but the reality is that as Americans, we are extremely abundant and prosperous in comparison to the vast majority of the planet. And here's what people of abundance or affluence often choose. They choose recreation and self-autonomy over worship and devotion. Affluence affords autonomy. And maybe this should have been the tide of autonomy. I don't know. I probably could have came up with a hundred tides, to be completely honest with you. But the tide of abundance and affluence leads to autonomy, right? I can do whatever I want. I can afford it. I can live however I want, right? I can go here. I can go there. I can have this space or that space. And it is oftentimes what the enemy uses to lure us away from our creator and King Jesus, our abundance and affluence. And the last one is this. And I think this is a growing prevalent idea in our culture, the tide of deconstructionism. How many of you have heard the word deconstruct? I'm deconstructing my faith. You put your, I'm deconstructing my faith. Right, okay. First off, I'm not condemning that. So don't hear me say that. And here at the Parks Church, we want us all to think deeply about our faith. We want us all to be critical thinkers about how we're living. That's why I'm so excited about the Roots class that's taking place right now because it's about how do we live as people of God faithfully in this world, right? As kingdom citizens, how do we faithfully live in this culture? 
But one of the things I think that has been the subtle tide taking people away from the sure anchor is this idea of deconstructionism. And I think people often begin with a true sense of trying to make sense of the faith that they grew up with and, and letting go of, of stuff that's stale or stifling in their lives. And the desire is actually to grow stronger in their faith and to have more of Jesus and, and, and not less. But what has happened over time, at least what we have seen or surveyed over time, is this slow drift into an adoption of cultural values and ethics based on cultural truth. And not what Hebrews says is the truth that we have heard, meaning the word of God. That there must be this foundation to which we deconstruct from, right? We have this foundation. We deconstruct things, the scaffolding. But there is this constant truth that then we reconstruct our faith upon, And that one of those foundations and pillars is the word of God. And so I just want to say as a warning to maybe those of you who are there and as as an encouragement, keep pursuing, keep pursuing, but be tethered to capital T truth. Be pursuing the foundation of your faith and what it looks like in this world and in this culture. However, I want to warn you, like I think Hebrews would warn you, that when the idea of deconstructionism or the practice of deconstruction, de- deconstruction simply becomes a facade to operate however you want and live however you want, that will lead to death and that will be detrimental to you. Those are the six tides. Those are the six tides. D.A. Carson, in one of his books, um, he says this, and I think this could sum up even those six really well. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness and prayer and obedience to Scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. You hear that? That's not our natural inclination. Like, if we're unintentional, that's not where we go. We drift. Here's what we drift toward. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. And all of that, and I've been there. And all of that, listen to me, what he listed there at the end, it is all a lie by the enemy. To loosen our anchor from the oceans for, from our foundation, for our ship to drift out to sea. And so here in close, I want to give maybe just some warning signs of spiritual drift, right? Are these tides really taking place? And the first one would be this. You spend little, if any, time in the presence of God. Like in those disciplines. Why are we serious about the spiritual disciplines here at the Park Church? Because those are the Is that how you're saved? Absolutely not. But those are the rails in which our spiritual lives run. They're the ways in which we get and come into the presence of God. Another warning sign would be that the gospel doesn't really affect you like it used to. I talked about that in familiarity. You regularly neglect the corporate gathering and regular gospel community. That will lead to a drift. Hebrews will tell us, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Another warning sign is that you're more passionate about political or social causes than you are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And listen, there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. It's that you're more passionate about them. That what gets you more fired up or more zealous is political things or social things. The sins that used to bother you and feel conviction toward you really, really don't bother you anymore. The sins that the, the Lord would convict and move on your heart, now his voice has grown quiet. And what oftentimes means when his voice has grown quiet is that you have pushed the Holy Spirit away time and time again. The Bible calls that searing, searing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's not really a big deal. I mean, it, it doesn't affect me. You know, I, I can watch that and it doesn't cause me to stumble. Yeah, I can have that much to drink and I'm, I can function. You begin to excuse away sin. And sin will become like a parasite in your life and grow and consume you. That's what James says. Last, you find yourself quieting your convictions more frequently and making excuses for things you know aren't pleasing to God, what I just talked about. I know it was wrong, but I'll pray about it tonight. You see, most Christians drift away from God not because they meant to, but because they got busy, they moved, they got lazy, they got distracted, they had kids, they got a mortgage, suffering came, bills came in the mail, the in-laws visited for a week, the minivan broke down. And before you know it, what's happening is the seed of the word of God is being choked out by the worries of this life. Listen, we enjoy so much here, so much freedom and safety and tolerance. And the drift towards spiritual shipwreck in our lives may not start with storm-shaking life crisis. But the drift in our lives will start in subtle rip currents in our lives like career advancement. And financial security and entertainment and rec re recreation and reputation and social acceptance. All of those things begin loosening the link to our sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. That's Hebrews 6, 19. You say, okay, Kyle, how, how do we fight that? Back to Hebrews 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Did you get that? What does the author of Hebrews say? You want to fight the drift? You want to confront the drift? What do you do? You go from being very unintentional to be very intentional. Intentional in what? In fixing your heart and your life upon Jesus Christ, the anchor of your soul. Pay much closer attention to the gospel that you have heard, the gospel that saved you, the gospel that redeemed you. And when you begin to do that, guess what happens? That joy and that zeal, that conviction of the Holy Spirit, the power, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit overtakes your life. And you, do, you begin running away from sin and not to it. You begin not making light of sin and holiness, but you begin running away from sin and being really serious about holiness before God. It seems almost too simple, right? Pay closer attention to what you know. That's the wake up. Church, we know the facts. Many of us, we know the scriptures. You know who Christ is. You know how he has redeemed you. You know what he calls you to. Now pay closer attention to it. Wake up. You've drifted. That's the warning.
And so this morning, I have negative two minutes left. Um, I want us to quiet ourselves for just a few moments and say, Holy Spirit, wake up my heart. Holy Spirit, show me where I have drifted. And some of you don't even need to pray about this. You know what to confess and repent before God. We just sang, here's my life, Lord. Speak what is true. Let's practice that right now. Around this room, just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate those areas of drift in your life. Maybe it's one of these six. Maybe it's a total another one he's going to bring up. We know the truth, church. We've heard it. We've believed it. We confess it. But we've drifted from it. We've accommodated sin and called it freedom. Listen, as the Holy Spirit brings those things up, begin to call them out to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his help to give you faith to overcome those struggles. Oh God, we don't want to neglect any longer the great salvation we've been given. We don't want to go back Give us a clear picture of Jesus this morning. Let us see him. Let us see his salvation. Let us experience it tangibly as a community. Father, I thank you for such clear warnings in your word. Clear warnings that call us to not drift and not neglect the great salvation that we have been given in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith. You would give us the faith to wade into the waters of trying to confront and trying to identify those tides in our lives that are taking us away from you, that are misplacing our affections away from you. Oh God, we can't do this on our own. God, our nature is to drift away from you. Lord, teach us what it means to abide. Teach us what it means to be a people who are actually practicing your presence every day. God, that's the only way. Teach us what it means to be a people who are pursuing holiness and righteousness a people who are not accommodating sins in our lives. God, we confess collectively how easy it is to get swept away by the tides of our lives, the tides of culture, the tides of abundance, the tide of discouragement where we just feel despair. 
oh God, give us faith to run to you, to pay closer attention to what we know and what we've heard. That the gospel is the power to save. The gospel is the power of freedom today. The gospel is the power of forgiveness today. The gospel is the power to overcome sin today. Oh God, I pray for the Parks Church that as our community, we would set our anchor deep, deep. Holy Spirit, be quick to convict us of sin and drift, spiritual drift in our lives. Let us have a growing awareness of your presence and who you are. God, I thank you for this room. I thank you for those who have ears to hear. God, I thank you for those who are honest enough to confess to you, a God who knows everything anyway. And God, thank you most importantly for your forgiveness toward us, that you meet us right where we are and call us back home and welcome us. God, I pray that as we go from here, you would do a shaping work this week. God, even as we meditate on Hebrews 2 this week and think about it, change us and move us more to Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.